0: I hope we don't get so used to Greg and his leadership and those that serve with him that we just forget what a blessing it is that we get to come and worship and to worship with uh, such spirit and worship with such truth. It's not just something to have flashy music or lots of instruments, but it's the content of what we sing that defines our worship. And it's not the instruments or the voices, it's the words and what we are, the truths that we are singing that uh, reveals our worship. And so I am so grateful that we get to have the leadership that not just we have beautiful music and we have beautiful voices, but then we have God honoring worship through the lyrics and the words that we get to sing so I hope that when you're here you appreciate some of that stuff some of the stuff you hear on Christian radio today is fluff and it is downright humanistic and we need to stay away from that and we need to be mindful that uh, there's a theology in what we sing as well as what we say and so always be mindful of that great I'm grateful that you're here thank you men for taking up the offering if you have a bible I hope you came in with a bible I want you to turn with me to first Peter chapter four. four first Peter chapter before. Whether you open your Bible or turn your Bible on, I just hope that you will have something to look on when God's Word is here this morning. Every time when we come in, there's always Bibles in the back. If you came in and don't have one, you're always welcome to grab one and use one, take one, have one, whatever you need to do. But I really encourage you to have God's Word in front of you. And also when you came, hopefully you got a bulletin or a worship guide when you came in. On the back of that, there'll be some notes. that if you want to look at those as we go, if that helps keep you awake or keep you in tune or just something to doodle on, sometimes, sometimes people like to have that to practice their artistic touch, and so, but that will be the notes in the back of that. If you want to reference those, we have, and many of us know this. We have been walking through this letter of First Peter together as a church, and the, and the goal behind working through this letter as a church is just to look at what does it mean to be the church in the century in which we're living in. Peter is writing to a group of people, the early Christian, early group of Christians back in that time, what is modern day Turkey? But he's he's writing to them about how it is that they do this thing called church in the context of the culture and the society we're in and sometimes we are tempted to think well no one's ever lived in the times in which we're living in and so we start to think that we get to contextualize or we get to start manipulating or working with what God's word says because we have to contextualize it or we got to bring it into the modern the modern times in which we're in and yet God's word is timeless. The applications of God's word are timeless. The doctrine of God's word is timeless. The truth of God's word is timeless. So Peter is writing to them, and I think by extension writing to us now, saying, okay... The world is always going to be crazy. (laughs) The culture is always going to be in upheaval. So how it is, how is it that we live as Christians first and as a church second in light of the culture? And so that's what Peter has been writing too. And as I've said in the previous weeks, if you are here this morning and you are not saved, I am glad that you're here. We are glad that you're here. But in saying this, I want you to hear that as Peter is writing, he is writing to the Christian. He is writing to the saved. He is writing to the church. And so as you're here, if you are not a Christian and if you are not saved, I hope that today is the day that you give your heart to Jesus when you're here I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying As if this is being written to you. This is being written to Christians and the church. So if you're here and you're lost, you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear that this is how Christians are to live. And if you're here this morning and you know I'm saved, Vince, I've already I've already nailed that down, then I want you to hear this morning, this is how we are to live. Last night we had a bunch a bunch of people that came in that door. Now they weren't coming because of Greg singing. They weren't coming because of the the, the oratory uh, of the pulpit. They were coming because we had an inflatable. We had the cakewalk, which I think was everybody. Mary Joe was running the cakewalk for a while. So I think everybody was coming for the cakewalk, but then they had the games. So people were coming in because that was the town's trick-or-treat time. So people were coming in and out of these doors. And I was I was kind of posted outside. Someone had to keep Evan in line. And so I was sitting outside <coughs> and watching these people come in and out. You know, and, and the best they do, they they dress up in their costume but yet when they come in you know that they're not really who they're dressed up as. So they put, on a, they put on the costume they put on the face. Some of them had their faces covered so it made it a little harder to see but, but some of them when they come in even though they had a costume on, even though they put on a face you still knew who they were behind the costume make sense so as i'm watching this last night watching them walk in and out watching them come back and forth i find myself a little bit humored because i had this passage in my head and i'm thinking to myself you know this is almost just like a sunday morning i love you i love you and you have to love me the bible says so don't have a choice, we're in this together, but, but it's kind of like, like a Sunday morning where you have people come in and people have put on a face and people have put on a front and they come in and they've disguised who they are. Now that's one thing to think about, but even more burdening for me to think about is when we walk out of here, does the world see through our costumes? And what does the world see when we walk out of here? That's what I want you and I to think about for the next few moments out of 1 Peter chapter 4. Is To think about what it is that the world sees. We've been talking about how it is that we live differently as a church. How it is that we live differently as Christians. And we've talked about all the things that Peter has addressed. And these are the differences that should be seen. And this morning I want to speak to you about... Paul, or, or sorry, Peter's Peter's encouragement, his challenge to us that when it comes to Christians in the church they should see a difference in our conduct. They should see a difference in the way we behave. They should see a difference in the way that we speak. They should de- see a difference in the things that we do. They should see a difference in the church when it comes to the conduct of the believers. And so just as you had the people last night coming in, some of them were in costume some of them weren't, and they're were coming back and forth. I am burdened that two many times we walk out thinking that we're in costume and the world doesn't see who we are and the world sees right through us they see in our hypocrisies, they see in our deceptions, they see in our saying one thing and doing something else and they see us coming to church playing religious, playing like we have it all together and then we walk out of here, we live just like the rest of the world and the world is saying, so why do I need church? Because they don't see a difference in us. So I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want you to, I want us to see together this difference that Peter calls us to. I was listening to Kyle Eidemann, which is a pastor, and he was doing some uh, uh, teaching on this passage, and he just had a very clear, succinct way to do it. So I'm going to borrow it from him and give him credit. He just summed it down. He summed this passage down, and it's the main two items that you see in your notes. He just said that boils down to Peter is calling us to be different in the way that we live and to be different in the way that we love. Greg and I did not talk about the music for this morning but yet we're singing and I'm thinking it's right there so notice with me, read with me, as I read aloud, you follow along in your copy of God's Word. And let's just start in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, and just look at what Peter is saying when it comes to the difference in the way that we should live. He says in verse 1, "...since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do." living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I'm going to stop right there, and I hope God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. I want to stop right there and just this up to where Peter is coming in and saying there should be a difference in the way that we live. And he outlines this. I think I put there in your notes. He outlines it in about five different bullet points in things that should mark us differently. When we think about the world, we think about the context, we think about the society, and then we think about the church. What should make us different? The fact that we come in and we stand up and we sit down? No. The fact that we have a structured time every single Sunday. The fact that your name is on a church roll that you may have came and had breakfast this morning. No. The fact that you own a Bible. No. The fact that you've been to vacation Bible school or the fact that you know words to Christian music. No, he says the things that should make you different. Notice he says, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Now what is he referring to? He is saying that as Christ came and he lived that sinless life and he took upon that punishment that we as sinners deserve. That's the whole story of the gospel is that we have sinned against the Holy God and because of that sin, we now stand in judgment for our sin. God seeing us, seeing us in our state, knowing that we could not save ourselves, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. Three days later, he comes out of the tomb, defeating death, ascends to the right hand of the Father, so that you and I have the opportunity, if we cry out in repentance of our sins, confessing Jesus as Lord, asking forgiveness of our sins, we can be Saved. And that's the whole picture that Peter is re- making sure they remember of what Jesus did. Now, how did Jesus do it? Well, when Jesus came, he died to the flesh and he lived by the Spirit. If you would, just write down there in your margin or there beside your notes, write down Galatians 2 and verse 20. Listen to what it says. Paul is writing here in this example, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Paul is reminding them that just as Christ died to the flesh to live in the spirit to follow the direction of God for his life he is saying that what marks us as different people is we are now dead to the old person and we are now alive to the new person now we are no longer driven by the flesh we're driven by the spirit of God and there's a constant battle Toby was talking about this morning during the Sunday school. How so many times we want to be in the kingdom of God. We just don't want to adopt the kingdom values. And, and I, I think that, that echoes right where so many times Peter is saying that when it comes to this Christian life. You are no longer driven by your flesh. You are no longer uh, pulled by the flesh. You are now driven by the spirit. So he says there's a difference in the way we live. First of all we are living by the spirit not by the flesh. And that's where he gets to in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. He's reminding arm yourselves the same way. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's not saying that we become sinless or blameless. He is saying that when you die to yourself and you die to the flesh, that bondage, that being captured by sin, being burdened by sin, all those things that so many times we give ourselves a way out and saying, well, I can't help it, the devil made me do it. That's a country song. That's not a scriptural truth. He is saying when you die to the flesh and you live by the Spirit, you know what happens? You now have the Spirit of God inside of you and now you can do things that you can never do on your own because you got a piece of God in you. And He's saying you need to understand that when it comes to this life you are to be living by the spirit not by the flesh and yet we have so many people today that they get up and they're always driven by the flesh. What do I want to do? What makes me happy? What satisfies me? What brings me joy? What brings me happiness? Me, 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 me. This world is not about me. This world is not about You. This church is not about me or about you. This moment in time is not about me and it's not about you. Everything is about God. It's about the kingdom of God. And it's about us remembering that we are not here to live by the flesh. We are here to live by the Spirit. So (coughs) Peter points them to their... 1 Peter chapter 4, he points them to that there should be a difference in the way we live. We should be driven by the spirit and not by the flesh. But then he goes on in verse verse 2 there in that same passage and he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So he is saying that when it comes to this Christian life and the way that you live there should be a difference between your will and your wants. Oh, if you have kids for very long, you realize those kids are consumed with wants, 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 wants. I want this. I want this. And they have a really hard time distinguishing and discerning between wants and needs. I mean, a lot of us adultery in the same spot, right? Every time we want something, automatically it becomes a need and we start justifying our needs. And it's one of those things that Peter is saying, when it comes to your life, the way that you live differently in your conduct is you're no longer driven by what you want. You are now, now driven by what God's will is is for your life how many times do you ask yourself what is God's will for my life you may have heard people before say well I just don't know what God's will is for my life how do you find God's will for my life preacher I want to know what God's will is for my life there's places I can take you to and say well the scripture tells us in Matthew 28 that God's will is for your life is to go tell other people about Jesus well can I have a different can I have a different will it's like us going to the, the uh, Chinese restaurant and us uh, getting a fortune cookie and looking at there and say no I want a different one and we just start trading out uh, the little fortune cookies until we get the slip of paper that makes us happy it's like going back and forth and sometimes people do that when it comes to the church they come in and say I think God wants me to do that but I don't want to do that alright God next and we think that we can just treat God like that and Peter is saying you don't understand when you are being led by the spirit then it's about God's direction and purpose for your life not yours and unfortunately we have conditioned our young people to think that their future is dependent upon an education or a vocation and not a spiritual direction and so we'll look at some of these seniors and we'll say, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? And what they hear and what we say is, what are you going to do for education or a vocation? Because we're not asking them, what are you going to do for God? We're not asking them, what are you going to do for the kingdom? We're not asking them, where is God leading you? We're not asking, how is God going to use you? In your high school years and after your high school years to make his name known and to bring glory and honor to the kingdom. It's all about what are you going to do that you want to do? And so we even ask the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? Why does it matter? Maybe the question should be what does God want you to do when you leave high school? Or what does God want you to do while you're in high school? So he talks about this will versus the one. And then he goes on there in, in, in chapter four and verse three. He talks about this God versus you. He starts to talk about this idea that when you're living differently, it's not you being in control of your life, it's God being in control of your life. He says in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Now, who is he talking about? The Gentiles. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So here's what he's here's what he's talking about. In that time, in that in that context, you had the Jews and the Gentiles. 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 Those were the main two categories when it comes to the church. The Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were going to be considered to be the favored people of God. They were the lineage of Abraham. Came down, Moses brought them out. They thought because they were Jews, man, they were something. Kind of like OSU fans today. I mean, just because we're OSU fans, we know how to put a way a Kansas team so it was one of those things they just just had this little air about them like I thought they were something special because they were Jews and then you had all these OU fans (sighs) (laughs) and they were okay there were some good ones but there was also some weird ones kind of back and forth. And so if you were a Jew in that time, there was a little bit of division. Like right now, Charles and I, we have a friendly rivalry, but there's a little bit of a division. I'm right with Jesus. He's working on it. And so it's one of those things (laughs) So it's one of those things that was that division there and so when Peter's writing he's writing to a church and some of them would be Gentile and some of them would be Jew but he realized there was hostilities there but he's also wanting to make the point that when it came to the Gentile way of living they had all this pagan worship out there that they would hold up and saying this is sufficient or this is the same and so they had all these pagan practices, they had all these humanistic practices, they had all these deism practices, they had all these temples to false gods, they had their mythology, they had their cult, they had their witchcraft, they had all these things out there and so Peter is saying when you get saved and when you get to be a part of the kingdom of God it's not about what you are doing it's about what God is wanting to do with you so he, he says that there he says for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles do and then he leaves this list of what they're doing and it's almost like he's writing to us today look at that list there in verse three sensuality passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. He's laying this out and you can imagine he's writing this to a church in 2021. This is the same thing the culture is doing. This is the same thing that they're celebrating. This is the same thing that people think should be accepted or should be accommodated or that we should make room for in the church today. And he says, no, these are not things from God. Immorality, whether it's between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman or a woman, immorality is immorality and it's a sin. So many times we as a church we have been labeled or pigeonholed as being against one sin but not against the other. And church, we need to have the attitude that we are against all sin. We don't pick and choose. I don't start with a list of the top ten sins and these other five we get along with. And that's the problem that we have so many times in the church today is we have people outside these walls and saying, well you want to pick on the sin you're not guilty of, but the sin you're guilty of you will accommodate. And that's not the different way of living that Peter is referring to. So he, he points them to and he says this is about God not about You Well, how do I know if I'm living for God? Well, Galatians 5, verse 22 through 24, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit there in those passages, but he gets down to verse 24. You might jot this down. He gets down to verse 24 and he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. I tell you, I come to that verse and I think about that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And I ask myself, I look in the mirror and I say, Spence, are you crucifying yourself with those passions and desires? Is that evident about me? Well, I don't like having to give stuff up, Spence. I don't like having to do without. Spence, I deserve this. I, I, I'm owed this. I... earned this besides I'm a whole lot better than all these other people out there I mean you see what they're doing I'm not nearly as bad as them the standard that we are to live by is not the standard of the world the standard that we are to hold to is not the standard of other Christians in the church the standard that we are to ascribe to is the standard of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter that you're doing better than me or I'm doing better than you. It doesn't matter that we're doing better than the other church down the road or they're doing better than us. It doesn't matter about you're doing better than you used to do or you're doing worse than you used to. It matters about are you living like Christ? It's far too long. We have lowered the bar and we have lowered the bar and we have lowered the bar until there is no bar left to live by. Anybody heard of gold ball? It's an Olympic sport. I didn't know about it until about a month ago. <laughs> and now I'm just fascinated by it. Four players. It's set up like a miniature soccer field, but it's inside. It's on a basketball court. Four players are this in, four players are this in. The net runs the entire width of the court. These four players, there's one person that is serving a ball that's roughly the size of a kickball and they are going to throw it down to the end and the four defenders are trying to stop the ball from going in the goal. You might think, well, what's what's so big about that? Here's the fascinating thing. They're all blindfolded. I promise I'll send you the link to the video. So they're all blindfolded, and they got these really black blindfolds on right here. It looks like one of the things that a pro basketball player would wear to cover his nose. So he's got this deal on. And so the four defenders, they're not standing up, they're all laying down, like trying to block as much as possible. The four offensive, they're all blindfolded, so they can't see where the ball's going. And so at one point, this Brazilian player is sitting there, and let's say, let's say Vans, the defensive player, she comes up there and she kind of has a little bit of orientation. And she turns around and the ball between her legs I'm like what is going on here that is not what I think of when I think of a sport (laughs) and it's funny because they're going back and forth and I'm saying you know what will they call a sport next I don't mean any disrespect some of you may be big gold ball fans here in the room and I don't mean any disrespect but sometimes you think you know there has to be some standard that we're going to call this an athletic competition and we're not So, blindfolded people throwing the ball at each other, trying to block it, does that really fit the definition? So, at some point, we have to have a definition. The same way, parents, at some point, you have to come up with a line of what you're going to let your child watch and not watch. At some point, adults, you're going to have to draw a line what you're going to listen to and what you're not going to listen to going to go and where you're not going to go. And that comes down to saying, who is in charge? Is God in charge or am I in charge? So Peter comes back in First Peter chapter 4 and he says, when it comes to your life the way you live differently is that you live for God instead of living for yourself. In fact he goes on there and he talks about this idea of them giving way to all these passions and desires. That's why he says in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. He is saying when it comes to this Christian life, you have all these people in the world and they're doing all these immoralities. They're doing all these sinful acts. They're doing all these things that bring pleasure and glory to them but not to God. And then when you don't do it, they look at you like, well, you're kind of weird. We should be weird. I realize we're in the day and age that everybody, you know, you want to be palpable to the community. We need to reach the community. We need to be engaged in the community, we need to be welcomed in the community, and and I'm all for that. But when the community looks at First Baptist Wilson, they should see a different people than the people of the world. They should see a difference in our conduct. They should see a difference in the way that we live. They should see a difference in the things that we do. They should look at us and they should realize that what we are doing is not what the rest of the world is doing. I'm not saying that we have to be judgmental. I'm not saying that we have to be snobbish. I'm not saying that we have to be unfriendly, unkind, or unloving. But I'm saying that when they look at us, they should see a difference. And so he says in verse 4, Peter recognizes, he says, they are going to be surprised when you don't do what they do. And not just they're surprised, but he goes on will they be surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery but they will malign you it's a biblical word saying they're going to make fun of you they're going to criticize you they might even start a rumor about you they're going to gossip about you they're going to slander you they might even heckle you stereotype you be mean on social media about you who knows what they're going to do? He says, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Why, Spence? Because they did that to our Savior. So why should we expect anything better? They did that to Jesus. Why should we expect any different treatment? And when you are doing it, they don't like being reminded of their guilt. They don't like being reminded of their sin. They don't really like being reminded about how they are wrong. And so they want everybody to act like them. That way, they don't feel guilty and they assuages their conscience church we haven't been called to make people feel comfortable in their sin we have been called to live for Jesus so he says there's going to be a difference in your worship versus wanting to make them happy Because so when it comes down to it the question is, is who are you going to worship are you going to worship the opinion of man or are you going to worship the fear of God are you going to worship God's authority in your life or are you going to worship man's desire in your life Proverbs talk about the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. We're reminded, Peter reminds us, the writer of Proverbs, other places in the Bible, it reminds us that when we get our worship out of order, then we become a dysfunctional people. I submit to you this morning that we are a people with our worship out of order. We worship athletics. We worship possessions. We worship money. We worship acclaim and accomplishments. We worship the wrong things and we wonder why we are a dysfunctional society. Because we've got our worship mixed up with our wants. What's the last part he talks about there? I want you to see there in verse five. <laughs> He's reminding them when it comes to the t- in the way and they live, he doesn't want to leave them on a down point. He doesn't want to leave them with all kinds of gloom and despair and agony. Oh my! He, so he reminds them, but they will give an account. He reminds them that they may do this today. You might be persecuted. You might be heckled. You might be maligned. You might slandered you might be gossip about you they might sneer at you they might make fun of you they might do that today but do understand this that every single one of us in this room will one day give an account to our maker Every single one of us. Every single person on the face of this earth. Every single person that had been created by God. Which means every single nose, every single set of eyeballs, every single set of ears, every single soul, everybody will give an account to God. That's what he says in verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's reminding them that everyone will give an account. So you're sitting here going, Well, I don't like being made fun of and I don't like being maligned and I don't like people thinking about it of me. Remember that one day you're not going to give an account to them you're going to give an account to God Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 puts it like this and just as it is appointed for many to die once and after that comes the judgment so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him the writer of Hebrews reminds us that there is a judgment that is coming maybe brothers and sisters we need to think about how we're going to live and how we're going to answer to God for the way that we're living today so we're not going to answer to the popularity of the culture. We're not going to answer to the winds and the whims of the society. We're not going to answer to the sways, modern thinking, postmodern philosophy and postmodern ideologies. We are going to answer to our God for the way that we lived this life. So he talks about the way we live. But then he talks about the way that we love says we should be different in the way that we live and he outlines those there led by the spirit driven by the will of God living as God is foremost in your life worshiping God with your life he wants to remind us that we need to be reminded that when it comes to living differently we're living because we know we're living for eternity what I mean by that is that we're not living for today we're living for tomorrow so you see in your notes there's a a tomorrow versus a day it's the idea that you recognize that what I'm doing is not for your satisfaction or my satisfaction today I'm living so when I stand before my God and I begin my eternal rest I am knowing that I'm going to hear well done thy good and faithful servant so we don't live for the moment we live for the eternity but then he goes on he talks about the difference in the way that we love. You, you get down to verse 7 and he, and he begins this picture. So he, he talks about, and I want you to grasp this, he talks about how we live in, in view of the world outside these walls. So he's talking about how we live in front of a watching world. But now he's going to talk about the way we love and instead of talking about the way we love necessarily a watching world, the primary focus is going to be on the way that we love one another. Now I realize we come together and you're like, oh yeah, we love each other. Verse 7. <laughs> Verse 7. Talks about there's a difference in the way we love. He, the end of all things is His hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers now what is he what is he saying he's saying the end of all things is at hand what I think Peter is doing here is Peter's wanting to remind them that the time is short I realize that we're sitting in this room right now and some of us go well you know the the return of the Lord is just right around the corner they've been saying that for 2,000 years and am I saying we're living in the last days yes we're living in the last days how long do the last days last I don't know but I do know that at any moment, at any second, at any day, Christ could come back. And yes, guess what? You're, I'm going to do betters, and you're, I'm meant tos, and I'm going to stops, and I, I need to start. So that's going to be over, and time is going to be up. But, so Peter has this sense of urgency that do you realize, do you realize that at any moment, Christ could come back, and that's it. I was sharing with the men that was up there in the prayer time this morning, watching all these people come in and out. And just being convicted I came in, they got candy, they got entertained and they left but how many of the ones that came in and out were saved or lost? And how much of a burden did I have to how many lost people came in that if Christ came back today would find themselves in hell for an eternity? So he wants to remind them that when it comes to our love we don't know how long we have But we do know that while we are here, we have been called to live for God. We know that we've been called to follow the example of Jesus. So he says, therefore, the end of all things is at hand. In light of that, in knowing that you don't know how much longer you have, how should you then love one another? I think he's saying that we should love one another with an undeserved patience. Because I have no idea how much more time we have. I know I have no idea how much more it is going to take. I know that I need to love you with an undeserved patience. Because I know that I don't want to look before God one day and say, well, you know, my patience just ran out. Can you imagine us looking at Christ and going, well, do you realize what a pain in the neck they are? Do you realize how obstinate they are? Do you realize how hard they are to love? Can you imagine looking at Christ and then Christ looking at you going, yeah, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. I'm looking straight at you. I get it. It's that idea that that, that Peter is saying, listen, the ends of all things are hands, so therefore be sober, self-controlled. Keep this idea that as we are living, we need to know that we're not living for ourselves. We're living for God. But at the same time, that undeserved patience goes a long way in cultivating that love for one another. Because someday I need patience, some days you need patience. Some days we all need patience. I heard a preacher the other day talking about, he was calling people EGRs. Extra grace required. (laughs) He wouldn't call the church members out by name. He wouldn't say, you're an EGR or you're a genie EGR. He just said that in the life of the church, you have these EGRs. And I wonder, I could be an (laughs) EGR. You could be an EGR. We could all be these kind of people that would come to church and we are in one state of growth, one state of maturity, one state of sanctification, one state of holiness. And sometimes you come in and you're pleasant to get along with and sometimes you come in and you're not pleasant to get along with. Sometimes you're friendly. Sometimes you're not friendly. Sometimes you're having a good day. Sometimes you're not having a good day. And he says there should be a difference in the way we love and one of those differences is, is that we have this undeserved patience. I realize that you're struggling in your walk with the Lord. Why? Because we're all struggling in our walk with the Lord. So in. Okay, we have a certain amount of patience, not because you deserve it, but because you don't deserve it. Just think about what Paul writes back up in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He's reminding us that this idea of patience, this idea of love, this undeserving is not because of my merit or because of my value. It's because of what Christ has done for me. He goes on there in verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So we can spend a lot of time talking about this definition of love and what this idea of love looks like. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Love is defined by Christ. We can have a lot of ways of trying to define and trying to slice it. We can go through all the different Greek words for the word love. Simply, if you want to know how it is, the definition of how you should love one another, look to Christ. What does it say in John 13 and 34 and 35? A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have lived you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't describe love as being an emotion. He doesn't describe love as being a feeling. He doesn't describe motion, Love as being something that is dependent upon the person's actions or the person's reactions. He is saying we are to exhibit the love of Christ. And so he says that there in verse 8. That we should keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And yet a lot of times in the church today our fellowship is tied is tied to our happiness. If I'm having a good season of life then I'm going to be a good church member. If they're doing what I want them to do then I'm going to be a good church member. If I'm getting in my way then I'm going to be a good church member. If all the things are swinging in my direction, I'm going to be a good church member. If everything is moving, the trends are moving up to the right, I'm going to be a good church member. If they speak nicely to me, then I will speak nicely to them. If they earn my love, then I will give them my love. If they deserve my love, then I will give them my love. If I feel like it, I will love them. And I think Peter is coming in and saying, there should be a difference in the way we love. There's a world outside these walls that their love is based upon fickle emotions. Their love is based upon a... Egg timer. Their love is based upon what makes them happy and what brings pleasure to themselves. And he is saying when it comes to the church, we should be known for a different kind of love. We should be loved as defined by Christ. A love that is unending, un forever patient and long suffering he says that we should love one another like that so he says there in verse 9 show hospitality to one another without grumbling he is saying this picture of hospitality is that where you entertain people that you are friendly to people that you are engaging with people let me put it in my vernacular Peter wants us to be dogs and not cats so let me explain myself I don't know of a spirit-filled preacher that ever speaks good about cats, and so I feel like I'm in good company and taking a couple of cheap shots. But you think about the personality, the, the stereotypical personality of a dog. The dog doesn't care who you are, they're going to lick you. The dog is always happy to see you. The dog, you can kick the dog, you can mistreat the dog, the dog forgets. The dog is always just bounding around, always has an optimistic, always has a good attitude, always looking to be petted. And as soon as you start petting the dog, the dog turns around, is as vulnerable to you as you can imagine, and just loves the attention and loves giving the attention. A cat isn't that way. A cat will come up and it will look at you and say, I'm ready to be petted now. <laughs> and then you'll pet the cat and when the cat has enough, the cat flicks its little tail, puts its little nose up there and just kind of walks off is like, I'm done whenever I want you again. I'll come back over here. I think they really say this in their mind. I, I can't tell you for sure, but I think. That, but, the, but the cat kind of has this attitude. It is it is it is reclusive. It is secluded. It is isolated until it wants attention, and then it comes up and it expects attention in the way, kind of way that it wants the attention. And when it's done, it walks away, and there is none of that. Hey, I'm going to give to you. It's just simply, I want you to give to me. We have too many cats in the church. We have too many people that show up only when they want to be petted. (laughs) And they only show up when they want something. And they only show up when it pleases them. And they only show up when they feel like it. And then as soon as they stop feeling like that, they leave again. You can call them on the phone. You can send them a postcard. You can send them a letter. You can stop by and visit them. And they're not going to come back to church until you... Until they're ready to come back to church. And I think Peter is looking at us and saying, You should be a church full of dogs and not cats. That hospitable idea, the fact that we're just going around and we're just looking to someone to love on. We're just looking for someone to connect with. We're just looking for someone to build a relationship with. We're just looking for someone to have fellowship with. We're just looking for someone to uh, uh, get into our world. We're just looking to build these relationships, these connect points, these touch points. We're just looking for someone to do life with. We should have this idea of a dog going around and saying, Let me love you. Yet too often we live as cats saying, no, no, I don't want you to mess with me. So Peter is talking about there in verse 9, he is saying show hospitality, but again he gets down to verse 10. And he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. He's telling us that we should be grace-filled in our service. Mark 1045 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for for as a ransom for many. So he is saying that this idea of loving involves service. Then he gets down to verse eleven and he reminds us that whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory, dominion, and ever forever and ever. Amen. Question is, when you come into the room, are you a glory taker or are you a glory giver? Are you a glory taker or are you a glory giver? Do you come into the room saying, I want people to recognize me, I want people to look at me, I want people to notice me, or do you come into the room and saying, I want people to see Jesus. I want people to see God through me. He's saying that there should be a difference in the way that we love. There should be a difference in the way that people see us interact with one another. There should be a difference in what it is that we do. Not only there should be a difference in the way we live, but there should be a difference in the way that we love. And so we have to ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves when we come down to the text, how am I loving other people? Am I loving you based upon a definition that I get from Christ or a definition that I get based upon the world? Am I loving you because Christ loved you and that's enough? Or am I loving you because you perform? Because you mark a box? And because you conform to some picture or image the church has set up as what it looks like to be a Christian? We have too much in the world today where people think that it's all about performance. It's all about checking a bots. It's all about looking a, a certain way and they think that as long as they come, And they roll when they're told to roll. They sit when they're told to sit. They think that they have the right outfit on. They think if they stand up at the right time, they sit down at the right time, then that's all they have to do. And brothers and sisters, Peter comes in to the church and he says no, you don't understand. It's not about the performance. It's not about the outward actions. It's not about the way you look. It's about the heart that you have for one another. And if we have unforgiveness in our heart, if we have bitterness in our heart, if we have resentfulness in our heart, if we have competition in our heart, if we have a hardened spirit, if we are dry spiritually, all these things will prevent us and hinder us from loving one another the way that we have been called to love. And we have enough of that in the world today. There was a family that was here yesterday and they're just getting ready to move out into this area and one of the things they mentioned, they said, you know it seemed like there is not a shortage of churches in the area. No there isn't. So then the wise follow-up question was, do any of you all get along? That's convicting. Because she didn't ask about doctrinal issues. And there are differences in doctrine. She didn't ask about methodological issues. There are differences in the way we do church she asked if we get along. And brothers and sisters in church, it is an indictment against us when people outside of this community wonder if the Christians inside this community can even get along with one another. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at her and I'm saying, well, you know, we try to have fellowship and we try to interact with as many Christians in this community as possible. But for too long, for too long, just in this church but in this community and in the church at large there has been division and competition and has done nothing but hinder and harm the mission of the kingdom of God and at some point we need to ask is that the loving thing to do is that what Christ would have done he came in was he in competition with John the Baptist no was he trying to one up John the Baptist no he realized they were all on the same team serving one God and sometimes when we come to church, we're not coming to church to compete with one another Christian in the church. We are coming to church to encourage and to equip the church to go out and to reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's talk about a different conduct. Let me land this. Let me, let's talk about a different conduct. So how it is, how it is that we take this passage and apply it to our daily lives. Number one, you are a reflection of something you are a reflection of something it's pretty much just a matter of what it is that you are consumed with your priorities, your likes, your your preferences your desires, what it is about you you are a reflection of something so what it is that you listen to, pay attention to pursue, what makes you happy, what you are passionate about that is what you're a reflection of so if if you love money more than you love God it's going to be reflected in the way that you live If you love possessions more than you do the church, it can be reflected in the way you live. You're a reflection of something. Not just that, you only have one day to be faithful. Yesterday, you can't go back and be faithful yesterday. Tomorrow, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. You do not have any control over tomorrow. So you only have one day to be faithful. So why not choose this day to be faithful to God? You can't go back and change yesterday. You can't control what happens tomorrow. But you can say starting today I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to live differently and I'm going to love differently. So that people can see a difference in me. We have enough hypocritical double-tongued religious people. To fill this place up multiple times over. Let this community see authentic Christians are living differently and loving differently and let them see the difference we are called to be light we are called to be salt we are called to be a lighthouse we are called to be beacons of hope we are called to be proclaimers heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ so why not be speaking so loudly of Jesus the world says I know how to get to Jesus because those people down at the church let them think that about us Because God knows your heart. God knows your heart. You'll find people that will say, well, you know what, I know I'm slipping, but God knows I mean well. (laughs) No, God knows exactly what you mean. God knows exactly how you feel. God knows exactly what you're doing with your time. God knows exactly what you're doing with your gifts and your resources. God knows your heart. And I don't know about you, but that can be terrifying. Because I struggle. I struggle with my flesh. I struggle with my carnality. I struggle with my selfishness. I struggle with my pride. I struggle with my arrogance and I struggle with my temper. I struggle in the mornings with wanting to get up and read my Bible. I struggle with always smiling when I see people I struggle with controlling my mouth I struggle in the testimony that I live I struggle and if I struggle out here you can only imagine what I struggle in here and while you don't see that God sees that so it doesn't matter what costume I put on that you see, what costume I I show you all God sees my heart and God sees your heart and brothers and sisters, when it comes to this world around us, you say, we want to make a difference. We want to be this people. We want to see a great awakening come up. We see, want to see a community change. We want to see a people turned back to Jesus. We want to see a great difference being made. Brothers and sisters, may I challenge you with the fact and the reality that it starts in your heart. It starts in my heart and it starts in your heart. And until your heart is committed and devoted to living differently and loving differently, then we as a church will not live differently or love differently. And we as a community will not live differently or love differently. And we as a church writ large will not live differently or love differently. So it all begins in your heart. So I'm going to close and just ask you the point blank question. What is in your heart? Bow your heads with me.